Okay, better late than never. This is your one-minute warning. One minute, not two. Most of you are ready to go anyway. While you are getting situated, uh, don't forget up here we have uh, copies of uh, Monty Weimer's uh, short Bible class that he did for our first, that was our first Wednesday, uh, Wednesday catechism night. And so this is on third use of the law. So if you're struggling a little bit with third use, uh, if that's a little fuzzy, I'm going to set them up here on the table and uh, you can take as many copies as you want, uh, share them with your uh, Mormon neighbors, um, hand them out to the JWs when they come visit. Actually, Monty, if he's in here, if we're going to pass stuff out to uh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, probably just let's start with the Trinity uh, instead of third use of the law. Uh, that was a bad pastor joke. Okay, we're good to go? Let's begin. The Lord be with you. O Lord, keep your church with your perpetual mercy, and because of our frailty we cannot but fall. Keep us ever by your help from all things hurtful, and lead us to all things profitable to our salvation. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Okay, so we should be on page 79 of Professor Marquardt's book, The Saving Truth Doctrine for Lay People. And last week, I believe we kind of finished up, uh, correct, these various modes of the one gospel we call the means of grace. They are the channels through which the river of God's salvation flows to us, right? So we've been talking about law and gospel. We've looked at kind of the three uses of the law, and let's review. Uh, three uses of the law, curb, mirror, and guide, right? Curb like you would bump on uh, a street, or hopefully maybe not bump into, but it tells you where you are to drive and where you are not to go. Uh, also uh, protects others uh, from you and vice versa. Mirror is what you would see just as when you get up in the morning or go into the bathroom and it reveals who you really are, whether you like it or not, right? So it doesn't matter how much uh, oil of Olay and Calgon you use or baths you take or whatever you ladies use for all of that stuff to make all of you so pretty. Um, you notice the aging process, you notice weight gain, weight loss, and all that, but I don't want to bum you out today, so we'll just stop there and move on, okay? Uh, third use of the law, then, is guide, okay, in terms of how to. Now, the old Adam in you cannot be taught how to do anything. The old Adam in you simply needs to die. So the third use of the law, properly understood, is really for the new man. This is admonishment. This is exhortation to good works. Uh, the Lutheran Confession spent a lot of time talking about that. Um, and there's been a lot of debate over the years, uh, you know, with, with third use. But uh, we are not antinomians. We're not against the law. Um, you should be instructed. Uh, you should be admonished. You should be encouraged uh, to do good works. Okay? But, of course, your salvation does not hinge upon that. Your salvation hinges upon this guy, right, and what he has done for you, okay? Any questions or comments on third use or any of the other uses of the law before we jump into a little bit of Pentecostalism, which is where Marquardt's going to go next? One, two, three, nothing, okay. What is the full gospel? Here we go. The Pentecostal movement has popularized the term, popularized the term, full gospel. 
This suggests that the ordinary word and sacraments are only half the gospel, and that the other half is supplied by extraordinary gifts, especially tongues and miraculous healings. Okay? Now, forget even just the Pentecostal movement and think of how easy it is even for Lutheran parishes to fall into this, right? So um, I had an acquaintance who started uh, a church, went through Mission Planners Institute, all that same stuff that I did. Uh, his first thing to do when starting the church was to remove all those things that he thought would offend people. So they removed the absolution, no absolution, removed the Lord's Supper, okay? Did not practice any baptisms in front of other people. Because this church was in the Bible Belt, that might offend people who were actually Baptist and believed in a believer's baptism. So we're not going to baptize babies because that'll just throw people, throw people off, right? So we're going to remove all that. So you gutted all those things from the service, what are you left with? <laughs> not much, okay? Um, and you could still go online and what? And you've seen some of these services probably, even within Lutheran churches, okay? Now, let's get down to brass tacks, the real issue is, is that those things aren't going to really do anything, right? They're not really going to bring people in. They're not going to keep people in the church or convert them or otherwise. We have to have other things to convert people. We got to have a really good looking praise band uh, with great voices and a kicking drummer. The drummers are always the key to the praise band, right? Um, and a good bass guitarist, uh, you know, to, to keep that bass line going and all those other things. And not only that, but we got to have all these other, you know, programs and that sort of thing. And in so doing, it takes the emphasis off of where God places the emphasis. Does that make sense? The absolution is an emphasis. Jesus commands it, go and forgive sins. And not only that, if someone's unrepentant, what else does Jesus say? Bind them in their sins. Okay? They are not forgiven. Jesus commands baptism, Jesus commands the Lord's Supper, but, you know, those means of grace, as we just heard in the earlier paragraph, you know, become really not a big deal to a lot of churches. And then church becomes something else other than doing what Jesus has given us to do. So the Pentecostal movement, as Marquardt writes, uh, is that uh, word and sacrament is only half the gospel. So we need to, we need to work on that other half, okay, such as speaking in tongues and miraculous healings. And I always like to tell the story when you, how many people think you have, <laughs> this is kind of, this is a juicy question. How many of you have heard speaking in tongues? Well, one, you should all raise your hands because if you've, you've already heard them today and if you came to early church, speaking in tongues is literally the speaking of the gospel in a language. Got it? Just nod your head and say, yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. So speaking in tongues is literally speaking the gospel even reading scripture or preaching about it in a language, period. That's what happened at Pentecost, okay? The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke God's word, uh, God's gospel. We're talking about the entire gospel, okay? It's not recorded for us specifically what they said, okay? Um, but we're told that it, it, it was the gospel, and that they spoke that now in tongues that they hadn't learned, hadn't studied, didn't grow up with. Okay, miracle, special, one-time, miraculous gift, okay, to the apostles. Uh, many historians will call Pentecost kind of the, the birthday of the Christian church. Um, not a bad thing, although I would go back to the 
you know, probably Good Friday for the start of the Christian church, but that's a whole other one. Um, so regardless, it's, it's speaking in tongues. So what some people s- seem to understand to be speaking in tongues is babbling in some nonsensical language that only one or two other people may be able to understand or interpret. And I'm going to tell you a little personal story. So I would have been second grade. We lived down in Perry County, Missouri, uh, which is about a half an hour from uh, Perryville, Missouri. Uh, we were on the edge of Mark Twain National Forest. And, uh, you know, six kids, mom and dad, uh, entrepreneurs, um, you know, so didn't, didn't have a whole lot of money. We always had food and clothes on our back and that sort of thing. Mom and dad belonged to, and this was really popular in the early 80s when kind of the co-op started. Some of you remember that? Uh, with co-ops so that you go in and you buy bulk food uh, and do that sort of thing. And so my mom uh, and dad went in with this, this local uh, co-op. Well, a bunch of the families that were there uh, followed this kind of pastor. He didn't really have kind of a commune. Don't think like Jim Jones or David Koresh. He was a really nice guy, uh, but he was reformed. He was a, Bapt- a, a pretty hardcore Baptist, but he really was even more Pentecostal. And so they started their own little church kind of out in the, the middle. If you've ever driven down that part of the country, there's no straight road, right? Uh, lots of hills, which really freaks flatlanders out if you haven't grown up with it because you can't see the horizon, you know, and you don't know what's coming around the next curve. Um, and so they started this little church and this little school. Um, and so uh, we got to know this really great family. We, we got together and did stuff with them. And, of course, they, uh, they, they didn't, uh, you know, have parties like some of us might have chief. And um, anyway, so we go to a worship service one Sunday morning. Dad says, I want you guys to understand why we're Lutheran. And part of what I'm going to teach you, my dad says, I'm going to take you to some other churches so you can see how they worship. Okay. And this kind of gets back to the very ancient uh, credo in Latin, lex orande, lex credende. Okay. Uh, which means the faith, the oral faith, the law of worship, okay, or what you say, what you do, is the law of credende, uh, belief, think creed, right? So in, 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 in simple summary for you, okay, you should worship according to how you believe, right? And vice versa. Your worship should reflect what your beliefs are, okay? So we go to the, this church, they're very Pentecostal. They don't believe that baptism really does anything for you. Um, the Lord's Supper is just, just something Jesus commanded, a fellowship meal. doesn't really do anything either. It's, it's really about you, right? Not about Jesus being there. Um, and so they had this uh, small little building they had built, and they had flipped down desks. They used it for a, a school during the week. Um, and so that's it, just chairs and a little podium up front. And I forget the guy's name. I have to text my mom or dad later today. I'd remember his name. Big, big burly guy. He, he, was, the, he was the preacher, right? He was the, he was the head guy. And uh, so you know, he gets a, we've gathered together here in the name of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and now we're just going to play some music and we're going to see if the Holy Spirit hits anybody. This was kind of their liturgy, right? And of course, here I am. I grew up with page 5 and 15 out of TLH, Right? So this, this, is, this is totally different from what I'm used to, right? Um, I mean, didn't begin in God's name, you know, didn't invoke God's name or anything like that. And so, so you know, music's kind of playing and people are kind of, you know, they're just getting, getting a little loosened up, right? Getting rid of that little arthritis and osteo stuff you got going on. And, uh, and all of a sudden, 
I don't even know how to describe it. Okay, I mean, it was, it was just, it was the, you know, I think I peed myself just a little bit. And, um, and so, and then, and then after that went on for just a minute or so, then it was done. And, uh, and then there was some more music. <laughs> What's going on, right? And then somebody sets their hands in the air, and I don't remember the guy. You know, Brother Jim, the Holy Spirit has given me a message. Given me the gift to interpret what has been given to us today by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? No, don't say amen. <laughs> and so this is what they're doing. They're feeding off people, right? Um, and so, and, and the message is this. The message of interpretation is, Mary Alice, you've been missing your car keys. And they fell off your bedside table. Look behind your bed. This is the word of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? Don't do it. <laughs> now, for them, this was serious stuff. They truly believed that the Holy Spirit was giving them special revelation. And that God's way of caring for Mary Alice and her lost keys was now giving a special manifestation of speaking in tongues so that they would know where the keys are. I kid you not, you can call my family. I don't know if my sisters would remember it. My brother might. I know my dad does. We've talked about it, but wow. Okay, now a couple of things just to process that. Okay, one, the Holy Spirit is only going to testify to who? To Jesus. That's actually his job. The Holy Spirit is not going to come give you a message about your car keys because the Holy Spirit's main job is about testifying to Jesus and God's word. Do lost car keys have anything to do with Jesus or God's word? I mean, can we say that clearly? I would say we can. Paul talks a lot about this, how to discern the spirits and that sort of thing. Everything hinges on, you know, I mean, we preach Christ crucified. I mean, Jesus is at the center of it. And this is what, you know, gets, gets Jesus so in a pickle, you know, with the Pharisees and Sadducees when he, he stands up there and the scrolls, the Bible says, these testify to me. And they're like, uh, 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 no, I don't think so. Um, they, they, they testify to us and how we are to live and what we are supposed to do and where our car keys... I mean, you see where we go with this? All right. So in a nutshell, I mean, this stuff is out there and still exists, okay? Um, you know, if, if you're curious, I'll try and find a place for you to go visit, but now everything's on YouTube or whatever, okay? Be careful, by the way, if you do go to visit other churches, if you, if you do have kids or other people, make sure you do some homework and stuff ahead of time. My dad went through a couple years of seminary. He felt pretty good about teaching us and kind of doing that. I went to a Catholic mass uh, once in town. We went to a Presbyterian Methodist, and we kind of looked at some of the similarities of, of, of where, you know, Christianity, you know, has had some roots and how that kind of splintered off. And that helped me at a young age. And, and some of it I really didn't grasp until I was older. Uh, but but that, that, was, that was good. Okay, questions or comments? Okay, so the Holy Spirit is going to testify to who? Jesus. Okay. And we're also told that we're not looking for extra manifestations of the Spirit. In the past, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but now in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. And where is his son spoken to you? In Holy Scripture. You got it? So, so the time of, of new revelation is past. 
right? That ended with the apostles, uh, so to speak, as well as the, the rest of the special manifestations and gifts that were all for the church. Uh, we're not saying the Lord still can't work in miraculous ways. We're saying that the Lord doesn't say he's going to do that. He doesn't promise that. And we're also told not to seek that out, okay? So same thing with the story of rich man and Lazarus. We've had that, but what was that, Pastor, two weeks ago? Did we know we had that in catechism? Was that? Oh, I get so confused with all the... We're always studying Scripture. It kind of gets a little crazy for me up here. So, but, but I mean, the rich man Lazarus, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, the rich man who's down in hell, um, you know, wants uh, Lazarus to come back from the dead and, and warn his brothers who are still alive on earth. And Jesus basically says, no, you know, they're not going to believe even if someone comes back from the dead. Okay, so if you're one of these heaven is for real junkies, if you're reading and looking for a lot of this stuff that's out there about people who have died and come back to life, and you think heaven is real because somebody has seen it or experienced it, you're placing your faith in the wrong place or person. You should believe heaven is real because God tells you it is in the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for you, not some of this other nonsense that's out there. Okay, now people may have experiences, Never going to question what somebody tells me if they've experienced or done. But how do we compare that to Scripture, which says we're not to rely on that, right? Jews look for miraculous signs. Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, right? So for us, we have what we need in Scripture, okay? So be careful when you're looking for revelation from someone else to convince you that something is real, okay? then you're placing your, your faith in, well, it just becomes idolatry. Questions, comments, anything you want to throw at me? Anything you want to go home and burn, maybe? Okay. Let's move on. Because all of this is, this, this is what Marquardt's getting at. All right, if we truly are, quote, people of the book, then that will be for us what we need. So one writer claims, quote, healing was clearly one of the things Jesus had commanded them, and therefore as much a part of the Great Commission as preaching and teaching, end quote. But the Great Commission must be distinguished from various local and temporary missions, such as the mission to the villages of Judea, Matthew 10, or the command to fetch a donkey and her foal. Physical healing is no more a part of the Great Commission of the Universal Church than is fetching donkeys. If those who follow Jesus today and who are not apostles must imitate his miraculous healings, then why not his walking on water? So his point here is that, okay, so God says, uh, you know, uh, commands the disciples to go out and heal people. Keep in mind, this was a special one-time gift that he gave to the apostles. Doesn't promise that it's going to continue, okay? Um, and if that's to be done today, um, then why not other things, okay? Uh, he commands Peter to walk on water, why not you? If you have enough faith, you should be able to walk on water too, correct? Go try that. Let me know how it works, Okay? Um, fetching a donkey, I mean, Marquardt's kind of getting kind of funny with this, but, you know, rightly so. Or why not as raising the dead? When the Lord raised the young man of Nain from the dead, for instance, did he really intend that his ministers now should stop funeral processions with the command, I say to you, get up. Try that sometime, Pastor Grady. <laughs> you know, when they're, when they're coming out over, over here across the street at the funeral home, just, just go park your car in the driveway. Okay, make sure you got your collar on and your robes and just put up your hand. And look at the hearse and say, get up! Right? Now, you probably get some death threats and people would be very unhappy with you. Um, but, 
Is that what he intends? See, the Savior's purpose instead was in the raising of Lazarus to show that he is himself the resurrection and the life, so as to invite and incite our total trust in him. So this is how people will misinterpret what happens in Scripture um, apart from what God has, has given us to do. Okay? Um, so having such trusting faith in him clearly does not mean expecting his miraculous interventions every time physical death threatens. Even the great apostles Peter and Paul, who had experienced many miraculous rescues, had to face death by execution, right? So the Lord did preserve them, but ultimately then, did they still suffer? Did they still die? Even with all that power they had? Okay. It means, rather, trusting implicitly in the Savior's promise, and let's read it together. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So Christians are assured here that uh, not that they are safe from cancer or plane crashes, okay? And this is where your, your sinful, your old Adam kicks in when you experience, you know, some of that. Um, but that you are safe even in cancer and plane crashes because they are in him over whom death no longer has mastery, okay? Um, So for us, our treasure is where? Where where is our treasure supposed to be laid up as Christians? At home under your mattress? Okay, in your safe deposit box? Your gun safe? I mean, I don't know where you hide all your earthly treasures. But the treasure that you're supposed to work towards is is a treasure that is kept in heaven. It's not going to perish. It's not going to spoil. It's not going to fade. And that's been given and assured for you through Jesus Christ. That's the treasure that you are to seek after. Now, the new man in you wants that treasure. Okay, It's the new man that drags your old man to church here every Sunday or here to Bible class. Because the old man or old woman in you, and don't ever call your wife old woman uh, or anything like that, um, but the old sinner in you doesn't want anything to do with that. Doesn't want to do with God's gifts. So you've got a battle going on every day which is why you need your gifts, you need your baptisms. Teach your kids this as well. Because otherwise you start thinking, oh, I've got control over myself. I'm doing pretty good. Look how high I've climbed Jacob's ladder to heaven. I'm such a great example to the people around me, right? Uh, And and when you get to that point, then you need your other brothers and sisters in Christ or your pastors, your husband or your wife to knock you down a notch and show you that, hey, you're really not all that great. Okay, hang on for it. Late service people will get there. Early service people, you can read between the lines, okay, in terms of what that means. Next paragraph, unless there's questions or comments. So, nor does the gospel offer political or economic liberation, as is often claimed today. The Lord refused to be that kind of king, John 6, 15 and 18, 36. Indeed, the gospels use the title Christ, which means Messiah or anointed one, Okay, and remember Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, you know, really means uh, Savior. Uh, and so uh, Jesus Christ, the one who is appointed, anointed to be the Savior, singular. Okay, uh, so it used the title Christ very sparingly, no doubt because of the strong national and political overtones the term had acquired. But the epistles are full of references to Christ. So after the cross, the resurrection, and Pentecost, the strictly spiritual nature of his kingdom was perfectly clear. Now, this is very interesting when you, when you, when you see what Marquardt's getting at with the Gospels. Go back and see how often the term Christ is actually used. I did that kind of for fun, and I was like, oh, I never really realized that. 
and how much more often it's used in the epistles, which obviously are written later and take place. But keep in mind what was going on really at the time uh, of, of Christ and, you know, really for the next, you know, up until the fall of, of Jerusalem and time after that. And that especially was in the Greco-Roman world, the worship of Caesar, right? So he is the anointed one. He literally, so the, the, the Caesar now becomes a divinity, a god, if you will. Uh, and so it's kind of interesting to, to kind of see how some things are recorded uh, and, and, and uh, you know, revealed to us. Comments on that? Any grammarians want to throw a hat in the ring? You're good? Okay. So, oh, wait, where I lost my place. Sorry. Okay, sparingly. But the epistles are full of references to, quote, Christ. So after the cross, the resurrection, Pentecost, the strictly spiritual nature of his kingdom was perfectly clear. Nor does the Lord guarantee prosperity or even the bare necessities at all times when he promises. Let's read it together. All these temporal things will be given to you as well. So else how could Christians ever die? Rather, the meaning is that he who owns and controls the whole universe and is therefore perfectly able to give us anything he chooses will in fact give us everything we need. But, and here's the but, in his estimate, not in ours. And that's where we as sinners don't always like that, okay? Uh, we want more of this or less of that um, as opposed to just trusting that what God has given to us, he has done according to his good and gracious will. Okay. He guarantees that he makes, quote, all things without exception work for the good of his chosen people, including, and let's read this together, trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, which means this. If the Lord has allowed something challenging to happen to you, you get a diagnosis, you get a, a big change in your lifestyle, the Lord... <laughs> is going to use this to grow you, to make you better, and provide for other people. Okay? So the Christian should attack the problems of life in a different way than an unbeliever. Okay? However, I doubt that's your initial reaction, is it? Your initial reaction is to throw your hands up in the air, perhaps utter a few words that you're not going to repeat to your little children or grandchildren or your pastors, and, you know, maybe use a middle finger. I mean, you're, you're, you're just not going to be happy about it, are you? I just admit it. You got something challenging that comes your way, and then you, you want to find somebody else to blame. God normally ends up getting blame, but you'll, carry, you'll, you'll take it out on other people, okay? Um, and so the new man in you now needs to be encouraged and admonished now to recognize that if the Lord brings you to it, he will bring you through it that all this is still part of his plan, okay? That yes, you are told that you will suffer with Christ, okay? That you will face persecution, but we ignore a lot of that in the Bible, don't we? And we don't want to talk about that part, right? We should put a sign out here by Michigan Road, come suffer with us. <laughs> but that's the life of what a Christian is called to do. Take up your cross and... Do I need to go on on that point? Pretty clear. But that gets ignored. And instead, you know, hey, come worship with us. Come join Advent Lutheran Church. We're such a friendly bunch of people. Your life will be so much better. Oh, it'll be so good. Everything will be groovy. Just, just go to church and things will be better. 
I mean, are you picking up on some of this? Now, you look at what, quote, other Christian churches, and maybe even other Lutheran churches, are really selling, right? It's kind of like what I was told when I applied to seminary. I still wasn't sure that I wanted to go or that I should go. And so we're sitting down for our district interview. And uh, I don't know when it was, Gina, the first, second set of questions. Oh, we see that you've, you've been in business for a while. And, and, you know, you're, you're managing, you know, a, a, a branch and you've been, you know, uh, starting some other businesses. And that's exactly the type of pastors we need. Okay. Instead of selling, you know, at the time it was plantation shutters and window treatments, you'll be selling Jesus. That's exactly what we need. There's no selling of Jesus, folks. Okay. Jesus is a, is a free gift. Okay. And, and, and with that free gift now comes a peace that passes understanding in the midst of any suffering and all trial that the Lord will bring you through that and use even that to strengthen you and others. Okay? So embrace the death is really what it means. Embrace the death and the suffering in your life, not in a, oh, bring it on kind of way, but in a, this is what God has given me. This is my work. So sometimes when I've gone to the bedside of 80, 90-year-olds, 100-year-olds, and death is hard work, let me tell you. One of the ways that I encourage them, and it might sound strange to you, God has given you this work. May he grant you a blessed death. Okay? Don't give up. Keep fighting. You know, and, and obviously, we'll, you know, now we've got some great things to help take care of pain and that sort of thing. I'm not saying you know, to take that away. Okay? but that God has given you this. Uh, whereas, you know, your sinful nature just wants to throw your hands up, grab a gun, grab a needle, and just end it. Which is why euthanasia is sinful and wrong. It's taking your life into your own hands. Your life is not your own. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay? Your life is not your own, therefore honor God with your body. Okay? His words, not mine. Okay? And so those are kind of tough cookies sometimes for us to swallow. Uh, of suffering and getting older and doing that, okay? Um, last story, and then we'll move on, um, because I, I was just, yesterday when I was driving back and forth, picking up kids, um, I, I, I called all my family, my brothers and sisters. I hadn't talked to them in a while, and, and, I, and I felt guilty about that. And they haven't called me much either, but we're, we're, we've got kids. We're all so busy. And so chatted with all of them. It was, we had some really good conversations, but it, it got me thinking about my, my mom and dad a little bit more, and when my, my, my uh, grandma, when she started having some mental issues and couldn't live on her own, uh, my mom and dad took her into their home, moved her from Springfield, Missouri, up to Kansas City. And my dad became her primary caregiver. And if there is anything that has aged my dad, it's the three to four years of caring for her 24-7, okay? Um, and probably about a year in when she started getting bad, um, my advice at the time was, you know, let's get some more help. You know, let's do it. He wouldn't do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm going to dad. And, and he said something to me that has stuck with me. He said, this is the work God has given me to do. And I'm able to do it. We're financially able to do it. And I'm, I'm, I'm her son, and I'm going to do it. And I watched how hard it was for him. I mean, changing your mom's diapers, bathing her feeding her, and she became like a little child. I mean, literally, her, her, her mind got to the point where she would yell and even cuss, which she would never do. My grandma was prim and proper. 
oh my goodness, wouldn't go out the house without her nails done and her hair just right, you know, and, uh, you know, and so, you know, that was in, in some ways kind of difficult to see people get to that, but my dad said, this is the work that God has given, and I'm going I'm to take care of it, okay? Um, he was able to do it. Not everybody is able to do that. I'm not, I'm not preaching that, okay? I mean, God, God provides through wonderful nursing homes and, and caregivers and other things, um, but it's hard work. And, and I watched as well, there were a few times that my grandma had lucid moments, and that's, I think, where it really kind of tore my, my dad up, you know? Um, but, but even then, she still didn't give up, and I, I love her for that, because she was a very strong woman, right? Um, and so, keep at it. And the Lord granted her a blessed death, and she rests from her labors now, and I, I, I love that she's no longer struggling with that, and, and I love that my dad's been freed some of that as well, and I, I look forward to the resurrection, you know, where, where I'll get to, you know, I wonder what my grandma will look like in the resurrection, you know? I'm told when she was 18, 19, she was, she was quite a good-looking gal. That be the body that's resurrected will be the grandma that I know and love, you know, with the gray hair and the string of pearls and, and always the handbag with the Tic Tac mints in it, Tic Tacs. Did your grandmas ever have mints? I swear she bought like a, a pallet of those things and had them stashed somewhere in her house because we'd go to church with her and the Tic Tacs would just get passed up and down the aisle. Um, those things crunch when you step on them, by the way. Don't do that. Kind of noisy. Okay, enough of that. Questions or comments? So these are the things that Scripture, that God will bring you to, but He will also provide the means to stand up under it. And so as a Christian, you trust that. Okay? Okay. Uh, His estimate, not ours. He guarantees, middle of the paragraph, that He makes all things without exception work for the good of His chosen people, including trouble or hardship or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. That in Christ we have life more abundantly has nothing to do with material prosperity. It has everything to do with being rich toward God and storing up treasures in heaven. So poor Lazarus from Luke 16 with all his sores had this abundant life, while his affluent neighbor did not. So that, that the gospel is spiritual, however, should not be taken to mean that it is spiritualistic. Let the reader understand. Worshiping in, quote, spirit and truth does not mean trying to evaporate into some state of dematerialization, right? Meaning sell everything you have, right? Uh, Get rid of all that stuff, okay? I tried that a few times in my life, you know, selling stuff that I I really loved and enjoyed, whether it was, you know, motorcycle or or other things or just kind of trying to be more, you know, spiritualistic is what I was trying to do. It didn't work so well for me, okay? Um, and so God's given all, you know, what's that passage? He has given all good things to enjoy. So you have things in this life, material things, it's okay to enjoy them. That's not sinful, okay? Uh, don't, don't fall into that trap, okay? And he goes on and talks a little bit more here about this. Um, so it means rather seeking God where he wishes to be found, and you might want to put a number one by that if you got your book, that is in the gospel. That gospel is surprisingly material in several respects. It proclaims a God who has become flesh, right? So, so what you suffer and experience, Christ did as well. It does so in outward, audible words and with visible, tangible elements. Think of water, bread, and wine. In the Holy Supper, it actually communicates Christ's life-giving flesh and blood to our needy bodies. So since the body, being destined for resurrection eternal life, also receives the holy means of grace... 
it clearly also participates together with the soul in the blessings there provided, right? And that's why uh, early church fathers, Luther picked up on this, Augustine, talk about the Lord's Supper, and you hear this phrase come out of my mouth, medicine of immortality, okay? And reread your catechism. The Lord's Supper is not just spiritually, you know, for your soul. The Lord's Supper is, is also actually food and drink that is good for your body, okay? So we love it especially when as pastors, somebody who is, is sick or just dealing with something tough calls us and says, hey, could you come bring us God's word and bring us the, what do you think? Bring us what, banana bread? Come on, folks. Bring us the Lord's Supper. Why? Why is that okay for you as a Christian to ask and, and, and inquire about that? What do you believe about the Lord's Supper? You tell me. What do you believe about it? Forgiveness of sins. Finish it. Life and salvation. Okay? And life remembers to be understood here and what's to come. Right? So this is, this is a great gift that, that God has given you. So if you're getting to a point where things are kind of tough right now, you call us as pastors. Okay? If we find out about it, normally we'll try and track you down. And we're, we're not going to be belligerent about it. But, you know, we'll offer to, to come pray with you, to come visit, to do some of that. Because we believe that God works through word and sacrament. Does that make sense? Okay? And it's okay for you to desire the greater gifts, like Mary, okay? Uh, and so think about that. See, as a sinner, you're not, you're going to think about other things, okay? Um, the new man in you craves those things, so, 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 so give in to the new life that you've been given. So since the body, being destined for resurrection, eternal life, also receives the holy means of grace, it clearly also participates, together with the soul and the blessings there provided. However, bodily blessings are whatever our divine physician chooses for our temporal and eternal well-being. That has no necessary connection with medical health. Okay? So it doesn't mean all of a sudden that, uh, you know, you, <laughs> I come visit you, you're sick, and you get the Lord's Supper, and within five minutes you're supposed to be, oh man, I feel so much better. <laughs> and your blood pressure goes down. I, okay, God's not promising that physically uh, that that is, is going to be the case. Now, he may grant that, okay? But, that, but that's not a promise, okay? You, you trust your very being, your life into his hands, okay? So the boundless blessing of God communicated and transmitted by the gospel and keep gospel in the wide sense, word and sacrament, is to be received and treasured for its own sake and on its own terms. Okay? And let's look at Matthew 13, 44 to 46. Can we look up that passage real quick? I think we've got enough time. He's got such great scripture passages in here. So if you have the book or the Kindle edition of this, um, you know, take some time to go through some of the scripture passages that he has. Uh, Matthew 13, 44 to 46. Okay, let's, let's read that together. Here we go. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So if you're given forgiveness of sins, life and salvation in the divine service, in word and sacrament, 
and you believe what Scripture says that is, how much value is that for you? What becomes the most important things, I mean, of your life? Okay? What do you treasure? And Jesus says now, <laughs> where that treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay? So if your treasure is elsewhere, that's where your heart's going to be. Okay? So part of that discipline, and as parents, you know, we teach and train our kids to this, and, 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 and hopefully, and we pray that, you know, as they get older, they'll then make those chase choices for themselves, um, but that the, the, the precious gift, the treasure, is in, is in what God gives. Okay, comments on that? So it's frivolous to think of this blessing merely as a religious segment within a larger, secular-defined holistic health. Now, the gospel, oh, by the way, so I was talking with my one sister, and she is brewing kombucha tea. You know what this is? She's got like a drug lab in her house. <laughs> and she's growing like the cult, this culture stuff. She says it kind of looks like a placenta, which I'm like, I don't want to drink that. She's a doctor, so she speaks in weird ways sometimes. <laughs> And so I, I call the younger sister, who supposedly has the bigger growth of whatever this culture is for this gombuchi tea. How do you say it, gombuchi? Oh, there you go. See, I, I drink coffee. And, um, and anyway, so, uh, but, you know, so they're kind of, she's a, 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 a DO instead of an MD, so she kind of has a little more holistic view on some, I'm sure it's all good. I'm not, I'm not knocking it. Uh, but when you talk about like holistic health, right? So there are good things out for you. Uh, let's move on before I stick my foot in my mouth. The gospel in its preached and sacramental modes is the full gospel. So that's the first thing you need to know. We're not looking for extra gospel somewhere outside of word and sacraments, which means that what you get in the divine service is everything that God has promised. You're not missing out on anything, okay? Now, at a time in my life, I thought the church didn't offer enough to young folks and the church needed to change. And, and I was basically called on my belief by a couple of pastors and lay people and, uh, you know, found that I was in error, okay? That the church didn't need to have a big, you know, rock concert. I mean, for me, I always thought the church would be a lot better with a little Metallica and, uh, I mean, some of that stuff that, that I liked. And we could, you know, tell them about Jesus in between that. And that would appeal to people. Well, of course, not everybody likes Metallica. Uh, you know, some of you are more Kenny G fans and that sort of thing. So then we'll just have a little bit of everything for you in the service. Or, you know, I mean, when you talk about having different types of services, you really need more than two. Forget about contemporary and traditional. You should offer as many different types as possible. You should have a gombuchi service. Okay, now I did stick my foot in my mouth. Okay. So, so the gospel, what we have is the full gospel. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we worship what we do. And so to teach about that, to learn about that, that you're getting everything that Jesus wants you to give. That's called being faithful to his word. Okay? That's called being faithful. So what, after all, was the real power and blessing of Pentecost? And this will kind of take us back to where we started. Long ago, Elijah had discovered that God was not in the wind. Now, now just back up a little bit with Elijah. Right? Elijah is, is, uh, is, is God's prophet. He's his spokesperson. He's also a, he's a mighty warrior for God. Okay? So you've got uh, evil King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, right? Uh, and uh, so uh, they now have followed the ways of Baal. Now let's just say Baal, right? And so they're worshiping Baal, right? 
And so uh, Elijah challenges the hundreds, what was it, like 600 of them? Is that about right, pastors? I think it was about 600, wasn't it? Prophets of Baal. Challenges them to a cook-off, right? Yeah, pretty good. I like cook-offs, right? We'll, we'll smoke some, uh, you know, some pork butt and some ribs and, and, and do all that. Okay, so, you know, you guys, you pray to your God, Baal, and, and pray that, that he'll come down and send fire down here and get this cook-off started, right? And so they do just that. They build an altar to Baal, and they pray, and they pray, and they pray some more. And they probably found some lost keys somewhere. There's probably some Pentecostal talk going on, and nothing happens. Wow. That's right. It's like going to you know, one of your favorite teams in the games of dud. You ever had that happen before? Okay. So I was all pumped up yesterday. I'm a Kansas Jayhawk fan. We beat Boston College last week, and we've got less miles you know, miles to go, and, and so we play West Virginia yesterday, and we lose. <sighs> I was so pumped. I was really hoping, oh man, you've had that before, right? Where you're like so pumped up about something, and then it just kind of turns out to be a dud, right? And so these, these Baal prophets, they had nothing, right? Couldn't get their fire lit, right? Elijah, he gets his smoker going and his grill, right? Builds his altar, you know, and then he pours water on top of the wood. I mean, who does that, right? And he pours some more water on top of the whole thing, you know, and digs a trench around it so it's holding water. There's water everywhere. There's no way this barbecue is going to go up, right? And then Elijah prays to the one true God, you know, and the boom, holy fire. Which actually, by the, by the way, was, was the fire for the tabernacle and the temples. That's a whole other story. We'll have to talk about that. Because when you play with the wrong fire, as the sons of, of, of Korah and as uh, uh, Aaron's sons did, okay, it's not good. Good thing's not going to happen. There's death. And so the fire lights, okay? So after Elijah wins the great big barbecue cook-off, okay, God sends him into a holy rage. Elijah pulls out his Jinsu knife or what, I don't know what it was, pulls out his sword and he slaughters all the prophets of Baal. Okay? Because that's what will come, death, for all those who are contrary to the one true God. There's only life through the one true God. So he kills all. I mean, Elijah, man, he's the man of the hour, right? I mean, he's just, he's just you know, he's been like little Doug Flutie, right? Way back when, throwing the bombs. Little guy on the football side. I got some football in the brain. And uh, I mean, and so you'd think like, you know, Elijah's like, oh man, I'm so strong, I'm so good. <laughs> Elijah runs away, he gets scared. Because Ahab and Jezebel says, oh, we're coming after you, Doug Flutie, man. We're sending the biggest line we got to come and, and we're going to tackle you over and over again. You're going to get sacked, Elijah. And instead of standing up, Elijah runs away. And he goes and hides in a cave. You remember this story? He goes and hides in a cave. All right, And he's feeling down on himself, which is probably what you do sometimes. You know, woe is me, you know, everything's going to fall apart, everybody's going to realize I'm a fraud, and da-da-da-da, and I'm tired of putting on this, and you just be like the ostrich, and instead of just sticking your hand in the ground, you bury deep down into the, into the cave. And so God calls to Elijah when he's in the cave, right? Remember the rest of it? Elijah, come out and stand at the mouth of the cave. Okay, and there's a I don't remember the exact order, right? You could read about it. There's big, there's big wind, right? I mean, think, don't just think like, you know, a good, a good wind. Think like hurricane force winds, right? 
God's not in the wind. Okay? Remember what else there was? Earthquake. Huge earthquake. Okay? God wasn't in the earthquake. All these big, amazing, powerful, Pentecostal, God is here rocking this place, man. Da, 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 da. It's not there. And then Elijah hears words. Soft-spoken words. Okay? And the Lord was present in His Word. The still, small voice of God speaking to Elijah. Okay? So you'll fall into that as a sinner, looking for God in places where He hasn't promised to be found. But He's promised to be in His Word. In these last days, He's spoken to us through His Son. It's why we read the gospel the way we do. We either bring it out to the center because Jesus is speaking to you. Or sometimes during the year, we'll read it out in the middle of the sanctuary. Okay, just to emphasize for you, Jesus is here. Here's the still small voice for you. Okay, through this simple way. Now the world will see that and laugh and other Christians will as well because they're still looking for Mary Alice's keys. They're waiting for somebody else to have some sort of revelation because that whole thing didn't work out. Okay. So, the remarkably parallel phenomena of Pentecost, the powerful sound of wind and tongues as a fire, likewise were special effects. But the real power of Pentecost was and is the preaching and baptism by which the Holy Spirit distributes forgiveness, life, and salvation. And that's why you hear us talk about that. Many years ago, I had somebody you know, say, Pastor, can you stop talking about baptism and the Lord's Supper? You seem to mention it every one of your sermons. It's getting kind of old. And the first thing I had to do was kind of check my um, temper. Because, I, you know, and, and so then gently I had to, you know, show them from Scripture, this is what Jesus wants to be talked about and reminded of. And not only that, you need to be reminded as well, and you need it over and over again. Why? Because you're a sinner. Right? It's like when you get a dose of antibiotics from the doctor. Don't skip a day. Finish the whole course of antibiotics. Why? What can happen if you miss out? Is it going to do its job? No. And the infection that you have you know, may not work. Okay? Now don't get my sister started on the whole thing of antibiotics, so that's a long discussion. Maybe that's why she's drinking gambucci tea. I don't know. I hope she listens to this online. <laughs> okay. So this lavish Pentecost fullness, we're going to finish up here, is most obvious in the case of the sacraments. Let's read it together. This is my blood of the New Testament being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Okay? So this says the Savior as he gives, thus says the Savior as he gives the blessed cup. So here is the very blood of God which takes away the sin of the world. Think John the Baptist with his bony finger. So the priceless inheritance of the divine testament is here, not merely commemorated, right? So we're not commemorating this. This is not just a remembrance. And you can normally tell if you're in a Reformed church because, you know, the altar won't be up on top. There'll be a separate little altar, and it'll always say, in remembrance of me. Okay, that's to focus on the fact that this is just a remembering. There isn't anything real going on here, okay? Um, so let the reader understand um, so the priceless inheritance is actually bequeathed, assigned, and paid out. Similarly, to be baptized is to be co-buried with Jesus. So this term is used only twice in the New Testament, and both times it describes what happens in baptism. 
Baptism actually, and let's read 1 Peter 3.21 together, saves by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in the sacraments then, we have not wistful reminders of salvation, but the thing itself. Okay, we're going to stop there. My watch has two after, and that clock has one till. So I don't know which one is right, so I'm going to call it in between. Okay, we'll pick up there. Actually, next week... Uh, 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 please uh, uh, come and join Bible class as well. Next week, we're going to have Mr. Andy Bierman here. Um, he is with uh, the uh, LCMS Foundation. Some of you may not know much about the LCMS Foundation. They do great things behind the scenes. Um, and you, you, know, you might say, oh, they're just kind of fundraisers and that sort of thing. What the LCMS Foundation does uh, is, is offer assistance uh, free of charge. They don't make money on this. They're not paid by commission. Uh, for people that need help with uh, estate planning, gift planning, you know, uh, that sort of thing. And, and there's some, some really good stuff. I've had a lot of people that have used them over the years and been very thankful and appreciative, found out they were actually able to give you know, more money back to their church or their favorite charity uh, than they realized. And so he can help you do that. The other thing they do is they help churches establish uh, endowment funds and other things like that. We don't have much of that yet here uh, at Advent Lutheran Church, but as the future moves forward, uh, those are things we'll need to look at. So we're going to listen to what he says, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure you'll learn something, so come join us uh, for that as well. Questions, comments, things to throw? You're good? Okay, Colts play today? What time? Okay, all right. Go Colts and go Chiefs. All right, let's stand and pray. <laughs> Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.